What makes us take up causes others think are impossible? What draws others to the cause, bonds us together, and gives us an inexhaustible energy and unwavering belief that we'll succeed? I'll draw on my own experiences and talk to fellow champions about the successes, setbacks, and team dynamics that move causes forward. I'm Marvin Stockwell, and welcome to Champions of the Lost Causes. On today's show, Charlotte Tolley, founder and executive director of Nourish Knoxville. When Charlotte started the Market Square Farmer's Market in downtown Knoxville in 2004, downtown wasn't much to look at. The farmer's market not only jump-started the revitalization of the city's downtown, but it also led to the 2013 establishment of Nourish Knoxville, a nonprofit dedicated to cultivating healthy communities by supporting relationships between local farmers, producers, and the public. We'll talk about Charlotte's earliest days, when she was met with doubt and skepticism, to the opening of additional markets and addressing new needs in the pandemic. All that and more on Champions of the Lost Causes. Charlotte, thanks so much for being on Champions of the Lost Causes today. Thanks for having me. Um, if you could kind of back up a step and say, like, so I, I've read about Nourish Knoxville, and I know that it kind of sprang from uh, a farmer's market, but has evolved into being a whole suite of issues around uh, food and community. Can you can you talk about uh, your entry point into that, uh, to, to the cause and of, of, of uh healthier food options for people in Knoxville and why that's important to you? Yeah. I mean, it really didn't come from the healthier food option angle. Um, I was really interested in um, partly a historic preservation angle. Um, and I really love when other people are very passionate about a thing. Like I find that I'm sort of uh, bounced from from idea to idea in a way, like I have a lot of smaller interests and I, I've never been a professional or, or very good at one particular thing. Um, I like to cook, but I'm never going to like become an amazing chef. Um, right. I like to do, you know, a lot of things. I'm never going to be an amazing hiker. I, I've never put a ton of effort into one thing and become an expert at it. Um, but I really admire the people that do. Um, and I really like to support them. So I think that's part of where it came from. Um, I really, I think the public market part of it um, kind of hit home for me when I went to London and I lived um, there for a year and just went to public markets there. And that's kind of where I saw a lot of folks like really pursuing their passions. Um, and I get excited about that and can eat delicious food and get these like wonderfully made things. Um, so when I came back to Knoxville, I really thought that Knoxville had a lot of potential, but their downtown was pretty desolate at the time. Um, and market square is the home of the original market house. So I worked downtown and I really just wanted to help, bring a market back to market square and help enliven downtown. And so I volunteered and we brought a few people out and that was kind of exciting. And then we just grew from there and I, really through the work 
with the farmer's market. Um, and, you know, my family comes from a farming background. My, my mom was a home ec person. My grandmother was a home ec teacher. So uh-huh. there was a, a thread of like, nutrition and growing your own food that ran through my family that I probably took for granted growing up. Um, and I knew I didn't want to be a farmer, but I really wanted people to bring me things that they grew. Um, so getting in on that angle, I just learned more and more about the challenges that, that people face trying to grow food and that maybe not everybody has access to fresh local food or grew up with it. And, um, it's really based in an agricultural, um, like economic development for agriculture, but we've really moved more into the food access realm and trying to marry those two things, um, economic development for farmers, but also affordable food for people, which is really hard to accomplish sometimes, but um, is really rewarding. And so that's kind of where we are now. Right. Yeah. You know, as you were talking, uh, I think about the the organizations that are tackling some of these issues here in Memphis. Uh, and certainly the advent of the farmer's market and popularity of it, <clears throat> it is more than just food, right? It's, it's, it's community building. Uh, and it is also about access. Uh, you know, I, I've kind of like watched, uh, you know, Memphis Tilth and, and uh, the Memphis the farmer's market and all the different farmer's markets. Uh, I've kind of seen that all along the kind of like growth path. Uh, and it's not necessarily the issue that I'm working on, but I can admire it. Um, how, uh, I'm, I'm curious uh, to, because now, now you've really piqued my interest on the because the the economic development part is interesting to me. But can you explain about how your work uh, with Nourish Knoxville? Um, you said it was a preservationist angle that drew you in initially. Is is that? Uh, can you talk a little bit about the historic structure, what it had been, uh, and 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 what it has returned uh, to? Yeah, um, market, sp- market Square is not super unique in that a lot of cities have, you know, an, a marketplace. Um, there's some that still have a building there that they still use. I mean, if you go to Charleston, they still have a, a building that is still a market. Um, but in Knoxville, there there was a market house. Um, one thing that is kind of unique is that the land for Market Square was donated to the city of Knoxville by some developers that it be a curb market for farmers forever. And so it had been a farmer's market in some capacity for over a hundred years. But as many downtowns, when people left downtown and it was just kind of dying, there were some, you know, there were some employers, there were your banks and your TBA has a headquarters. And so there were people there, they went to lunch and then they left, but there was no one there on the weekends. And there were, there were people trying to move back and, and, you know, I, I do have like a soft spot for old buildings and old homes and, um, and, but also land preservation. And so, I mean, that speaks to my, like, I'm interested in this a little bit. I'm interested in this a little bit. Um, yeah. And so it kind of brought all those things together, but um, so Knoxville's market square is a pedestrian only square, um, which is also not super common anymore. Um and, you know, there's restaurants and shops that surround it. And, and some of those folks are interested in buying from local farms. So it ended up being a really wonderful community um, over time. But the idea of bringing, you know, having a farmer's market on Market Square is by no means mine. People sold fish there in the late 1800s. Um, 
Yeah. So it, it's different, obviously, now, but um, they really, and this was sort of a national trend that happened. There were these sort of farmers markets, and then they kind of lost favor, but people were into it on a governmental level. So there were a lot of like government built market houses, but then you have to maintain those. And, and so there was one in Knoxville, not downtown, that had gone more and more to like a flea market and had its ebbs and flows. And um, ended up closing. And so they're really, there's an, another group here that does some really great farmer run markets, but they're mostly in like the suburbs and then in, in the town over from us. And so it just seemed like time to bring farmers back downtown and try to revitalize downtown. A lot of people use farmers markets to try to use them as an economic development tool for their downtowns, which is not the angle I came from, but um, it is effective. Um, you know, farmers markets are temporary and you can move them around easily and they can grow. And as long as you don't have a building. Um, so we were able to start with just like 10 vendors and now we have over hundred. Then there was a pandemic, but that's another story. Right. Right. It's a story we're all living through. Um, it's interesting, you know, like as, as you were talking, I realized, <clears throat> you know, it's so many things all added together. Uh, and so there are a mix of motivations, a mix of benefits. Um, and so, you know, you mentioned at the outset that you have a bunch of varied interests. And I think that some of the best thinking uh, comes from people of different backgrounds, uh, kind of coalescing out of the ether, if you will. I know in my own cause work uh, with the Mid-South Coliseum, a lot of the people in our core group were people that I not kind of knew peripherally from Midtown. They'd seen them at a function or this, that, or the other. I kind of knew their names. Some of them I didn't know at all. But it's almost like, and ours was a, it was a it was a cause based in crisis because the the building was on the demolition list, and so we kind of sprang forth out of the ether because uh, we had to to stop the wrecking ball. Thankfully, we did, and now we're working really closely with with the city of Memphis on you know. VIP tours for potential investors. So now it's, I think it's a foregone conclusion that the building will be used, uh, but, uh, but, but, uh, but exactly what use types, event types and fixed uses are, are, are unclear, We're still working that out. But back to the kind of diversity of thought, uh, could you talk a little bit like, like I, I think a person like you that has a grounding in a bunch of peripheral things and it has a varied interests, is actually and 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 a, and, a, and a worldview informed by some travel. So you've seen other uh, examples of how people use uh, farmers markets elsewhere in other countries. Um, can you talk a little bit about that diversity of thought, how it, how it uh, benefits uh, you as a leader, uh, and then talk a little bit about the diversity of disciplines uh, within your kind of like core team and how that manifests itself to kind of bring forth the right idea at the right time. Yeah, we. One thing that I like to say is that everyone likes a farmer's market. I mean, there are a lot of political ideologies, um, but with something like farmer's markets, it really appeals to people who want to do economic development in downtown, but also people who want to save farmland in rural communities. Um, you know, Tennessee is an agricultural state. So even though we're, we're primarily a conservative state, we have Republican leadership, um, they really want to support farmers and independent businesses. Um, but at the same time, you know, the, it really attracts folks who are interested in food or healthy food. Um, you know, we have a, a vegan 
following specifically. Um, there's people who just really, when we're talking to like leadership, you know, we do a lot of incentive-based programs for produce incentives to encourage people to eat fresh fruits and vegetables. And that's usually where our funders are coming from. They're coming from the, we want people to have access to fresh fruits and vegetables. And we do too, but health isn't really a part of what we set out to do. Um, it is great and a wonderful benefit. Farmers markets are also outside and you walk around and you have social interaction and all of that contributes to health. But you know, for us, it's really like about creating that community and having a strong local food economy. And so we can talk to a funder about many things that they're interested in, whether it's children having access to fresh fruits and vegetables, or even, you know, we include artisan food producers and some craft vendors. So folks that are interested in arts and culture, and it brings all of those things together. There's almost nothing not to like for pretty much anyone. Um, people may not care or it may not, you know, spark their interest, but there's not really much to dislike about it. Yeah. Who's anti-farmer's market? <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not much. There's, there's things yeah. that can be approved on. There's, there are definitely groups or, or people that need reached out to more specifically or, um, but yeah, there's not much to, to dislike. Um, you know, the, the, the value of, of, of bipartisanship or, or, or not, that's not the right word, but the ability to speak um, to each side of the political divide uh, and the kind of liberal conservative continuum uh, is, is really an advantage. And, and I say that because in a completely separate way, uh, the Mid-South Coliseum kind of enjoys a similar uh, wide acceptance. You know, like we have had to, part of our challenge was that there's a tourism, excuse me, tourism development zone application that the city made to this, that they had to get approved in Nashville. Uh, and that state building commission was full of, of Republicans. Uh, and so, and as we, as a, a grassroots group have courted uh, elected officials and office seekers, uh, we have, we'll, we'll take any, anybody through the building who wants to go through. And, in, and in, increasingly, you know, you just realize that everyone uh, wants economic development Everyone wants to see things flourish. And if they're a Memphian, they probably have some uh, fond experiences of uh, at the Coliseum. They went to a, a concert there with their, this, with their then girlfriend, who's now been their wife of 30 years, whatever it is. So I find that both the, the dyed-in-the-wool preservationist, uh, you know, kind of midtown uh, progressives, uh, and, and people who are very conservative and Republican, uh, th there, there's an argument to be made uh, for using a, a, a useful building that two separate assessments have shown to be in excellent shape. So once you get those core facts out of the way, it's kind of easy to get uh, people on board. Can you talk a little bit about, is, is it difficult for you uh, with having uh I'm sure that within your staff and your donor base, I'm sure that they're all over the map politically uh, uh, as well. Um, as a leader, um, what what stance do you have to take to kind of like balance out your personal politics, uh, take and bearing in mind the politics of your staff and donors uh, with the reality of the, those various cases you have to make? Yeah, it can be delicate. Um, you know, we, as Nourish Knoxville, we are a secular organization. We are an apolitical organization. Um, 
our staff and donors um, tend liberal. Um, our farmers, I would say, tend conservative. So a lot of our vendor base. Um, we also operate a, a farmer's market on city property, which is a democratic city. We typically have had Democrats in um, as mayors and our we operate a farmer's market on county property, which our current mayor is a libertarian conservative. Um, and I've talked to both of those mayors and both of them love the farmer's market. Um, and for similar reasons, but sometimes a little bit different. Um, so we, you know, we really do want to be a place for everyone and we want farmer's markets to be a place for everyone at the same time, I think, especially during the pandemic and some of the more heightened awareness around race, racial injustice and, mm -hmm. you know, and economic disparity, we do intentionally have to make sure that our markets are in fact are for everyone. Um, and right. with the pandemic, you know, we did find ourselves in a place where the fact that we require face coverings to attend our markets to be um, politicized, and it oh, bet, caused yeah. some rife with you know some of our donors, some of our vendors. Um, our staff was on the same page, um, and that was really important to me as their sort of caretakers in this pandemic um, yeah. for what they had to do for their job. Um, and for our vendors, you know, a lot of other markets in the area chose to make masks optional. They're outdoors and on private property, and they could. Um, we were on city property and our Saturday market typically would have up to five to 8,000 people that came through it. Um, we had to move locations, so that's not true. But, you know, for our, our staff alone and our volunteers to come in contact with possibly 5,000 people during a pandemic, we just want them to you know, cover their face and do what we can do, even though yeah. we are outside. Um, and same for some of our vendors, you know, plenty of them were older. Um, or have some kind of comorbidity. And we're really grateful that we did that, but some weren't, and that's okay. I mean, you know, no one's making them be there. And so they can make their own choice about where they wanted to, to sell. And we we're glad to have that option for people if that's what they, if they wanted to do. And some people didn't want to wear a mask at all ever in their lives and they shopped at a different market and that's okay. Um, we made different choices, but um, it was important to us to have we would rather err on the side of safety. Um, but I mean, I think sure. that we, and something as an organization, we're, we're looking into two farmers markets are somewhat maligned or made fun of as, as being sort of something white people love. Um, and we want to make sure that, that, that it's clear that it is for everyone um, and that we aren't intentionally, you know, cutting anyone out of participating at any point. So Right. Um, I don't feel like that's political. Some people do, but. Sure. Uh, you know, I know that diversity, uh, equity and inclusion is something that uh, across the spectrum and as, as a in my day job, I'm, I'm a, a PR guy for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And so certainly across the, the professional realm, and I can assume that if it's it, it, people are taking it seriously at a professional level that includes, you know, like every conference has a focus on it as it should. Uh, and I just feel like as awful as George Floyd's death uh, was, uh, I do think that um, the, the, the reckoning that has, that has 
that is <clears throat> and the conversation and the actions, quite frankly, that have come forth, it have been uh, robust. And, and, and I, personally, I only can, can hope and pray that, that that continues all the more. And I know that we all uh, have, have work to do on that front. And that goes for every organization. So diversity of your board uh, becomes an, an issue. I know that that is something that the Coliseum Coalition uh, had to work on um, very intentionally. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you, you can't just, uh, I, I know people sometimes talk about the optics of your board. And I, I both get that and I also wince a little bit because it's like, yes, it's important what the appearances are, but all the more important is like, what is the actual composition of your board? And do you have a diversity of thought from people who don't look like you informing things? Right. And, and that there mm -hmm. be uh, an, an equality and, 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 a, and, a, and a balance to that, to those conversations and, and how much control people have. Is that something that Nourish Knoxville has really focused on intentionally? And, and uh, if so, what, what, uh, what fruits have you seen uh, come out of that? Yeah, it's a very, it is a complicated picture. Um, you know, our, our board is very large um, and it's partially a, a working board and um, it is somewhat diverse. We could do better, um, but our staff is all white, um, not intentionally, but we haven't intentionally done anything different. Um, and so there are obviously conversations we have been having as Like, sort of to your point, you never want to tokenize someone. And if someone is going to be a part of your organization, you want to make sure they have ownership and are um, invested and have. And one thing that can become a challenge, and, and we're seeing this with a lot of grant applications, especially right now, where they want to have leadership from people that you serve, like people that are on SNAP or people that are low income. Right. And, and that becomes a challenge internally as well, because when you think, you know, boards often are made up with people who are financially sound because they have the time or energy to put into something. It's hard to ask for, it's hard for me in general to ask for free labor from anyone. Um, and so that's something we're always trying to, to marry. Um, and yes, we're seeing a lot of grant applications. It's like, how are you including, you know, certain different, different graphics of people um, and we partner a lot and pretty closely with a few different organizations, like one is specifically a refugee organization and one is specifically um, works with the Latinx population and um, another, a clinic that works primarily with um, Sp Spanish speakers and undocumented folks. And so mm -hmm. we want to make sure that we're not just trying to put, add a person so they check off a box for us when, you know, there's someone like the organizations that we partner with that are already doing such a good job, or are there other organizations that are already grassroots that are maybe a black led organization that we could help empower to take on yeah. that role as well. Um, we don't have to ourselves be everything for everybody, but if we can partner and work together, and it's one thing that I've really been concerned with, I'm sure this happens everywhere, but in Knoxville, I think there are a few under-resourced grass, grassroots organizations that work with specific populations that could do with a lot of help. It's just how do we help and lift up those boats as well? 
Yeah. Yeah. So diversification through partnering. I don't know if that answers your question, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it does. Mm -hmm. It does. Um, <clears throat> yeah. And, 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 and you're right to say more work needs to be done. I mean, I feel like, you know, we're, we're only at the outset of, of what we need to do and it's, and it, it, it takes time. Um, <clears throat> and maybe that's a good segue to ask this. I, I think I mentioned, or, or I, 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 in looking at your website, that um, the origins of Nourish Knoxville date back to 2004, but then officially it was incorporated in 2013. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not sure where your involvement begins in that in that story, and I would I would love to know that. But 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 I also want if you could kind of tell me the story of how it evolved from. You know, it, in, in 2004, I'm sure it was a group of people who just said, gosh, someone ought to do something. And then they realized they were the leaders they were waiting for. Right. Uh, and so they started down that path. Can you talk a little bit about the trajectory of uh, uh, how Nourish Knoxville kind of came about? I have been there since the beginning. So I was working at two um, downtown retailers um mm -hmm. and the there were a few people who were really excited about bringing people back to downtown and it, you know it really was pretty desolate so it was kind of the sky is the limit let's have concerts let's do movies let's have you know let's have a farmer's market and let's do shakespeare and let's do just whatever and right. people i mean there wasn't a lot going on so it's really easy to do um, and I just volunteered with with those folks who had started the Market Square District Association, which is really a downtown development organization, mm -hmm. um, to just help start a farmer's market. Um, and it became clear pretty quickly that, you know, there were a lot of people with a lot of ideas who are all business owners and, and all trying to do things that were happy to just have someone volunteer to do the work. And um, so that's where I kind of came in. Um, and I would just bring them, here's an application. What do you think? And they're like, great. Um, and then we brought in, you know, those folks that the business owners, I was only 23. So I didn't really, I mean, I was like not a full fledged adult at that point. And um, <laughs> they were people who, you know, own businesses and homes and had been in, in Knoxville for a while. And um, so they helped, you know, raise a little bit of money and get um, the city of Knoxville at the table and, the special events office and um, bring those partners to the table and um, launch a farmer's market in 2004. Um, and I just kind of stuck with it. Um, I remember, I mean, when JD asked me about this podcast, it was like lost causes. I'm like, well, I don't know that that applies to me. And then I remembered actually setting up a tent on a Wednesday and none of the farmers came because it was in the fall and it was so just, I was just sitting alone in a tent in the middle of Market Square and like one of the auction, there was auctioning off these buildings, which is another whole story. But this man literally just came up to me and was like, what are you doing? And I was like, well, we have this farmer's market that we're trying to start and they're already here today, but we're here on Saturdays. And he was like, this is never going to work. Like no one ever wants to come back downtown. This is like never going to work. And I was like, but I said I would be here. So I'm just going to sit in this chair and just sit by myself in this place. Um, which is ridiculous, but I do think like that stubbornness is partly what happened to make it what it is today. I mean, there was a lot of investment through the city and the city began to grow and we began to grow. And um, so by 2012-ish, you know, the market was doing pretty well. We had a good base of vendors and we 
wanted to make sure that there was somebody that could work on food issues um, surrounding local agriculture in the area. Um, we wanted to start a local food guide. We wanted to, you know, what if we wanted to run, take over management of another market or be in another place? Like we were very geographically tied to Market Square under that organization. And so we formed Nourish Knoxville and the Market Square District Association ended up like evolving and sort of going away because they accomplished their mission. I mean, Market Square is revitalized. Um, and so we, we formed Nourish Knoxville to really start doing some of those other things. Um, I mean, we now have a local food guide. We run a farmer's market in the county. We do all these, you know, food produce incentive programs and we're running a regional snap doubling program. So it grew pretty quickly, um, but it was sort of, at least for me, I could see that future of maybe we could do this and maybe we could do this. And some of those things have come to fruition. Yeah, the work evolves, doesn't it? Yes. Um, you know, <clears throat> apologies for not knowing that about you, that you were the, the, the kind of like founding figure. Uh, um, but I, I, all the more, uh, I'm fascinated by your experience because I th it resonates with my own. I, you know, I co-founded the Coliseum Coalition uh, and we were pulled aside and told, you guys have no chance. Uh, the developers that are, do you realize how much money that they're going to make by tearing the Coliseum down and building something new? You, you guys, like friends of mine, pull me aside and like, Marvin, 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 look, I love it, dude. It's great. I, I love your spirit, but you're going to get hurt. Uh, and a lot of people stand to make money here and, and, and you're just naive, you know, um, at the time I was working for a faith-based nonprofit uh, health center that serves uninsured people. And they're like, I know that you're a mission centric person. You believe in what's possible and everything. And that's, that's, that's noteworthy, but their, 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 their point to me was uh, it's you're, you're on a fool's errand. And, and I just think that, uh, and it sounds like somebody tried to tell, and they were, they were basing that off what had come before. They didn't have the, 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 the vision or the stick to or stubbornness or whatever you want to call it. And I think that that's what uh, people who choose to champion causes do. They, um, you know, the old Christopher saying, it's better to light one candle than to curse the darkness, right? right. And it's just like, at that point, you're like, I don't know how much good this candle, I'm using air quotes here, is going to do, but by gosh, I'm going to do something. Uh, and there's a, um, at least with us, and I would love to get your perspective about how that original grouping of people that cared about it came together. Because in my experience, that group seems to materialize out of the ether and the cause almost summons that core group. It's like those people who are like, yes, we must do something about this. Like just show up. It's, it's, it's like they've seen the same bat signal in the sky and, and they care about Gotham too. And using Batman analogy, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, can you tell me a little bit more about that kind of origin story about how your, you know, core group came together and how you face down pessimism? Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple of, of ways that that happened. And I do think, you know, if something, again, like I didn't make up farmer's markets, I mean, people like them. So once the word was out that people, that someone was trying to start that back, there were people who were interested in it in a number of ways. And so for me, I mean, I worked at, there was a restaurant and a, 
and a retail store who are both still there, um, but both of their owners were on the board of the, the new Market Square District Association. So obviously they had their own you know, business interests in mind. They wanted to bring people down, but they, they're both very um, community oriented. Like one of them, the retail store Bliss, one of the things he would always say is like, you know, there's a reason that there's malls. I mean, yes, we have furniture, but if we're the only furniture store, no one's gonna come down here. We don't see that as competition. We want people to be like, oh, great. There's a lot of great stuff downtown. I'm going to go and shop there, um, which is a similar microcosm way that farmers markets work. I mean, there are vendors who are like, I want to be the only honey vendor. And you're like, well, okay, but people actually like choice and like a crowd draws a crowd. Like you have to build a momentum um, to make sure that people want to come there. Um, so they and some other retailers and restaurant owners and business owners and property owners, I guess, as well, um, that were invested in the square had come together. And obviously, I can't speak totally to what brought them together, but my assumption is that they just like downtown. Some of them were also involved in um, Knox Heritage, which is a historic preservation here. They have a similar story where they saved the Bijou Theater, and that's how they started as an organization. Um, and we're just, you know, are interested in the core of downtown. And then we had, there was also a group that focused on residents. And so once that idea was kind of floated about, let's do this farmer's market, you know, someone else knew, oh, well, city people, the resident organization has also been talking about that. Like, let me send you a representative. And so that person came and then you're like, well, how do we find farmers? And so you put up flyers and go to, you know, the places you, you think that you could find farmers. And then you saw people, a few people that would, come to volunteer because they were also just really interested in either the downtown part or the farming part or the food part or whatever it is that brought them. And so, you know, there was a good core group of volunteers um, at the beginning that some of them have stayed, you know, that person from city people, Art Carmichael has been volunteering for the whole 18 years. Um, he's, wow. it's right in his backyard and he wanted it to be there. And it's a huge community generator. Um, and he, you know, he's like the mayor, the unofficial mayor of downtown. He talks to all sorts of people and is a very supportive person of, of these endeavors. Um, and it's something like Knoxville at the time, again, like there wasn't a lot going on and I had just lived in London and where there's everything. And people were, I knew a lot of people that I'd gone to college with here that were moving away um, they were going to New York or they were going to bigger cities where they had things. And there was part of me that was like, well, but it's so cheap to live here right now. And like, there aren't things. So you can be that person. Like I can be the farmer's market director because there's just not one. I mean, if there was one, somebody already has that job, but they just like, we don't have a, you know, artisan chocolate maker. You can be that. And we don't have a lot of breweries. Like you can do that. Um, so it seemed like a place where I don't know, sounds really dumb, but like where dreams can still come true, but like you can be the person that does the thing if you just decide to, you know, pursue that. And I, I feel like that's, that's happened over this, these last almost 20 years, you know, people yeah. are like, I get to be this person and now I do this thing. And now Knoxville has that thing. Right. I, I, I uh, <clears throat> I've seen the same thing happen in Memphis. Uh, my wife and I moved up to Northern Illinois so she could go to graduate school 01 through 04. And when we moved back uh, while we were gone, uh, the uh, 
FedEx Forum was built. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I moved back home and we've got a downtown arena with an NBA team. And so that was a very marked difference. And if you're away from anywhere for three years, you have a, a refreshed uh, mental perspective and emotional, you cleanse the mental and emotional palate. And, and, and for me, I could see my hometown with fresh eyes. Uh, and I would bet that being away in London, not only showed you what else was out there, but then also you came back and you saw what you'd seen before with a, with a, with a fresh perspective. I, I, I also think it is, uh, pe- people who, uh, champion causes, they, it's not just altruism that drives them. Uh, it, it's, it, it's, there's a, there's a bit of like, uh, and it's not just, I'll show you what's possible. It's, it's, there's something about us that likes the climb more than the, than the, the height that somebody else built, you know, like to me, it's much more interesting to, uh, to be part of the renewal. And to your point, you're saying you can be that person. I, I've, I've, I've talked about Memphis before being, and I still think it's, it's this way, although it certainly was when I moved back in 04, that, the, the table of leadership, there's an open seat. And all you really have to do is sit down, pull up a seat and say, I'm willing to work. In other words, the opportunity was there in ways that like, I would hear stories about other cities, you know, and it's like, people would have to spend a whole lot longer kind of cracking into the kind of secret, not secret, but you know, um, yeah, just figuring power it out. Cir- circuit. <laughs> um, is, is there uh since, since nourish Knoxville and, and the farm farmer's market that preceded it, uh, kind of was there along that entire arc. Um, can you talk a little bit about what drives uh, you and the changes you've seen? Are, are there still opportunities to be that those different jobs in Knoxville or is Knoxville, you know, fleshing out as, as these successes come? I think it's fleshing out a little bit, um, but there's still a lot of opportunity. Um, I mean, I, I do think, we've talked about this a lot internally, you know, when we started out at the farmer's market, one of the things that I really enjoyed was kind of being a, a starter platform for people, you know, especially there was like a real sweet spot where our, our boofies are really low, but you know, rents were going up in these buildings and you could like step a toe in the water. Like you, you wouldn't be able to afford a brick and mortar and aren't at that point, but you get to, test out your product. You get to be in front of people. You get to see if you even like running a business or being a person that tries to sell things to people. Um, and now we aren't really that anymore because it is just gotten so, so big that we, we have so many retained vendors. We have some turnover, but we, we have a waiting list every year. And so there are people who are, are starting like makers pop-up markets, but we're starting, we're getting a f- like two food halls basically. And, Gotcha, you know, people are, yeah. are starting to do like an online thing or just there are different avenues. Um, and, you know, I, at this point, am kind of bogged down in the day-to-day of, of running an organization, um, which is fine in a lot of ways. Um, I mean, during the pandemic, it is exhausting, but I hope that I, that will turn around. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, partly to your point earlier about, I don't think that I necessarily like enjoy the chase or the challenge. Like I do enjoy being challenged and I am stubborn and like to sort of prove myself. But um, I also, you know, I, I grew up in Memphis. I came to 
to Knoxville for college. I left for a year for London and came back, but I could really have gone anywhere. Um, and I chose to come back to Knoxville because my friends were here. I could work at the restaurant I've been working at. Yeah. It was cheap. Like I understood it. I like the mountains. Um, and I really wanted to want to live here more. Um, and I wanted a farmer's market. Oh. Like just like one thing that's sort of sad about it is that I don't get to just go to a farmer's market really. Like I really just enjoy doing that. I enjoy doing that when I'm traveling and trying new foods and seeing, you know, you can kind of feel the the culture of a place when you when you go to their their farmers markets or their public markets. And um so you know, I don't get to do that here anymore, but I do get a lot of really great food. Um, and that's kind of what my goal was, was for other people to make stuff for me and bring it to me. And that's great. <laughs> so that's awesome. How, how often do you get uh, back to Memphis? Um, not very often. My, my parents currently still live. Um, they live in Lucy, if you know where that is. Um, but it is between Millington and Fraser. I'm sorry. No, to people say don't. don't know it used to have a post is. office a long time ago. I think it has a school still, but it is an, un, an unincorporated. I think they got mostly taken. So they're technically Millington now. Um, I but see. they, yeah. So they've, they've lived in Millington and my, my, that's where my dad's family was. And my mom's, my mom's mom just passed away, but she lives, lived in Covington in Tipton County. Uh, so yeah. I had gone just to visit her and, you know, so I haven't, if I go to see my family at this point, I rarely make it to actual Memphis. Um, yeah. You know, I've been to Millington recently, but um, I would not call that Memphis, but yeah, it's, you know, yeah. I left there really when I was 17 to go to college and then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I went to, I went to Harding. And so it, mm -hmm. I hadn't, coming back as an adult is a very different experience. And and people ask, you know, Oh, do you like Memphis? I'm like, I can't really speak to it. I mean, I was 17. I couldn't drink. I could barely drive myself anywhere. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't allowed to be out whenever I felt like it or go places that I wanted to go on my own. So yeah, I don't have the kind of sense of Memphis that, you know, would actually be applicable for what you're asking me. <laughs> it's like I'm visiting there, but um, oh, you fine. know, it's you, like you essentially left before the renewal, right? Uh, exactly. For, for the ma majority of it, really sinked in. Uh, like, you know, yeah. So, like, as a as a pure Memphis homer uh, that I, that I am, uh, I, I'm very proud of the 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 strides that Memphis has taken. You know, the the Tennessee brewery, you know, uh, being saved, uh, our success on the Coliseum. Uh, the 19th century club, Claiborne Temple. Um, and, and of course, probably the most like crazy, ridiculous success that no one thought would ever happen in a million years is Crosstown Concourse, yeah. the old Sears uh, uh, distribution center being rehabbed. And that's now where, where uh, my, my daughter goes to high school at Crosstown High. So, and my wife works there. So it's, and I used to work there at my old job. So it's just, it's, it, there is a, and maybe this is an interesting segue here. I feel like when I look back and think, why did our city leaders close the Coliseum back in 06? Well, Memphis was at a low civic ebb of, an, of a confidence in itself. Uh, and the Department of Justice gave it a choice, uh, bring it up to Americans with Disabilities Act code or close it. And they had a brand shiny new uh, FedEx forum and the, the pyramid was still open. So you can look back with empathy and understand why they made that decision. But in the current context, 
you've got all these other, this litany of wins, civic win after civic win after civic win. And now when people tour the Coliseum and with the benefit of knowing that two separate assessments have shown that it's in excellent shape, it's like a no brainer. And in the earliest of days, when we would say, hey, yeah, we're the Coliseum Coalition, we're, we're looking to save the Coliseum, we were told we were crazy, we were on a fool's errand. Now, when we tell, when the same people walk up to it fresh, they say, yeah, when, when is it going to open? They start with the assumption that it's going to open. And that is like a complete sea change. With that in mind, can you talk a bit about like you gave one example, this pessimism of this guy, this passerby, what are you doing here? No one wants to come back downtown. And now you have the benefit to, to know without a doubt that that man was wrong, right? Like knock, downtown Knoxville is thriving. First of all, that's got to be a great feeling, but, but um, that has to have been like, that has to be gratifying to know that you played a role in, uh, in, in that arc of improvement. I mean, if you ask my mom, I saved Knoxville, but I don't think that that's totally accurate. That's a total mom. Um, yeah, of course yeah. she does, right? Yes, yes. She like will tell everyone that she's my mom and, and all of those things. And um, But yes, I mean, obviously I it's on city property. The only reason that it is successful is because of those business owners being supportive and, and putting their money behind it. And the city of Knoxville, you know, saying, yeah, you can do this. I mean, at first they were like, mm, what if you just did it like once a month? And we were like, well, that's not how farmers markets work. You know, it needs to be there all the time. And, um, you know, yeah. there was a little bit of, of working with them to, to figure out what that looked like um, because they were, they were also wanted to leave the option open for other things to start um, if people wanted to come and use the space. But um, it has become such an ingrained part of the fabric of the city and you know, because I have been there from the beginning, one thing with the pandemic that has been sort of, sort of nice. And we kind of forgot about like, it was such, people had such a visceral reaction to the fact that we moved off of market square during the pandemic. Um, we had to put protocols in place. Sure. And I mean, it was crammed in there. And then, you know, and market square is just an open pedestrian area. And so, the city shut down for special events on on their property and, and we moved to uh, the Coliseum, mm -hmm. which I think has a similar story. Lovely art deco outside building, Civic Auditorium and Coliseum. Um, and actually I had the feeling while being there because it's not in super great shape. They still do stuff there, but it could use an investment. It's also sort of saddled with the burden of, of being a part of urban renewal and displacing a black neighborhood to be there. So there's mm -hmm. like some intent, there's some, there's some strife in that area, but it is there now and it is a building that could be used better um, and more. And there are some also ADA stuff, like there's one ramp and, and some things that they, they need mm -hmm. to do. And by being there in that space, we kind of hope that you know, maybe that reminds people that it's there. Like yeah. there was an, a couple of things with the pandemic that it did, which one, understanding how many people really felt like the farmer's market in Market Square was a, they had ownership of and was a part of their lives and they mm -hmm. had like real reactions to it moving. And then being in the space and and all these people thinking like, you know, I haven't been the, I haven't been here in years. I mean, and I have, it's Do sort of Coliseum, my- Do you mean? 
yeah, to the Coliseum. Yeah. And, and there's a plaza there that's really quite lovely. And, you know, it has great parking. Yeah. Like you can do stuff there. And it's where the ice bears play. That is where the the Memphis Pier, like Memphis Kings played at the Coliseum. The, right? ri- the River that? Kings played at the at the Coliseum. Yes, that's right. I used to yeah. go see them uh, there. Yeah. I was into hockey, so like I have this very like a little bit of connection to this Coliseum where I'm like, yeah, like it has things. I'm sure other people have those kinds of memories of here, and yeah. And so maybe bringing a little bit of life back into that is also nice. That's um, cool. Yeah. That's very so cool. hopefully that happens. But um, you know, we it's just it's been. Like over the last year, it, it's sort of that similar to being able to walk away from a, like from Memphis and seeing it in new eyes or in Knoxville, like walking away from Market Square is like, I think it helped people. It, it's sort of a foregone conclusion. I mean, people assume that the farmer's market is going to be there. Like the people of Knoxville are just like, and there's a farmer's market there. That's just part of what happens. And so with the pandemic, it was like, well, it's not a foregone conclusion. Like, you know, we're a nonprofit, we have to fundraise and we have to do these things and we need the support of the city. We need continued support of our residents and our business owners. You know, it, it it's wonderful that people assume it will be there, but I also don't want people, including myself, to take it for granted that we can be. Um, right. It and doesn't so, just happen. Right. It doesn't just happen. And yeah, so people are working very hard to, to make it happen. Uh, and, and it's almost like they value it because they see its absence. And, and honestly, you could say the same thing is true of the various ahas that the pandemic has given b- literally almost every person on planet Earth, which is to say we took for granted even conversations amongst, you know, with, with people you'd run into. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I, I recently uh, got together for some uh, a volunteer project in real life with, with people at my church. I got a St. Patrick downtown right next to FedEx Forum. Uh, and it was just kind of like we were so mass and socially distanced and, and we had lunch. And like afterwards, I just thought to myself, I, I, sw- I didn't realize how much I really wanted to have lunch with just two other people and have a, just a garden variety conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, and the other day, we, my wife and I took our kids out to the botanic garden and we ran into a friend of mine. It's like, you forget how you take for granted running into a friend at, at random Yes, you know, it's, and it's like same thing with the farmers market. Yeah, I mean, it absolutely. I mean, that's something when we were talking about we need a new board members because you need new board members every year. And one of our board members was like, "I don't remember who exists in the world." Like normally, I would run into different people at different events, and you would have a conversation mm-hmm. about just whatever, and something would come up, and it would spark something. And and I think that and I've talked to friends about this at the beginning of the pandemic, there was something really nice about thinking like, you know what, everything I do is really intentional. Like I intentionally see the people I really care about and we're careful and we communicate. And it's really nice to have that intention without feeling like I have to go to every birthday party of like someone's work friend or, you know, every event and everything like that was a nice sort of break. But now it is that, I kind of forget who exists in the world. There are people that I would have a casual conversation with about something and an idea would come and and a connection would be made. And one thing that I think has helped me and a lot of people that have mentioned it is because we still had a farmer's market throughout the pandemic and there aren't other events, like we had a safe event, even though it was really like 
this is an essential business and you need to come and get vegetables and leave. You know, people still ran into people. Yeah. They were outdoors. They were able to like, people definitely said this keeps a sense of normalcy for me. And we were able to occasionally run into people and, you know, have those little conversations with people we normally would that I wouldn't schedule a lunch with, but um, exactly. Like some people don't necessarily rise to the level of scheduling it, but happenstantially, like we've all had the experience where you're, you randomly run into somebody and you're like, Oh, you know, I've been meaning to ask you this, dude, what's the thing, what's the deal with such and so, and you just work something out really fast. Uh, so much can be uh, like the, the Coliseum coalition board. We had our board meetings over zoom for a while. Uh, and uh, uh, one of our, our board members, Angela Barksdale, uh, she's like, she just made the case. We need to be in person. So we, we finally, once it was kind of safe enough, we met and social distance and wore masks and just stood outside the Coliseum. It was nice enough, uh, and, and had our meeting. And it's like, and we're working on a, on a, on a, on a mural project. So we had the artists out there to look at the space. And then all of a sudden you realize, gosh, you know, there's kind of a natural stage set up here, the spatial relationships that you don't get over a zoom call. And all of a sudden we're like, and some food trucks could go over there and we could have a band play here and like every other parking space, a car could go. And that, you know, like all of a sudden out of nowhere, the, like a bunch of people in one space thinking spatially uh, bouncing ideas off each other, it, all of a sudden this alchemical mix of creativity creates progress in a way that if you were doing it block by block, by block, by conversation, by conversation, you know, with emails right. and everything, you just don't get the same healthy friction. Yeah. And I think for our board meetings, we're still doing it by Zoom and, and onboarding is really hard. But one of the things that I realized that I missed is it's mostly me talking to them and then asking me questions. And like, they don't get to have side conversations. Like that's what would normally happen in a board mm -hmm. meeting is like, you would get there, people would come at different times, you'd have this weird conversation about whatever someone's handbag or whatever was going on, and then get into the meat of it. And then yeah, you know, as people leave the meeting, they talk to each other. They, they, there's no opportunity for them to talk to each other. They all just sort of have to talk to me and then in this group. And <laughs> right. um, it doesn't, you know, that building of, of the community, which is within them and getting to know each other doesn't happen as easily over Zoom. So yeah. conversations in the, in, in, the, in the sidebar are the things that don't happen. And I know that that has affected conferences. It is great that you, that we have, um, like at St. Jude, our biostatistics conference went from being a 300 person sign up event, assuming people were going to fly to Memphis and come to St. Jude to being 1300 people attended virtually. And that's the good side of it. It's like, you know, you had uh, uh, genomic scientists in Japan who never thought that they could make it all the way to Memphis could attend the conference. So that's the good side. But I've also seen that like, especially for a PR guy like me, oftentimes it's the stuff in the margins where you catch a reporter uh, getting coffee at the common place where you all of a sudden are chatting up somebody who's, you know, a big name reporter at NPR. And all of a sudden I'm talking to them about, you know, the science of St. Jude to, you know, Richard Harris uh, or what have you. And it's like, if all you have are the programmatic tracks and you're logging on digitally, you're just not going to run into Richard Harris at coffee. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. I mean, and you can't, I, I, there's a national farmer's market conference that just ended and, you know, my, it was the opportunity, like last year we sent one staff member because it's in San Diego and we can't afford to send everyone there. Sure. And so more of us could attend and see the the presentations and that was great. And, you know, everybody tries to have chat boxes and things and all of that going on. But, 
you know, I really missed just the like being able to ask someone a question between sessions and where they're from and meeting the people because you do learn so much just from the people that are attending the conference, not necessarily yeah. the presenters at the conference. And, you know, that is a little bit lost. Like, again, I think it was great that, you know, more people could attend, but, um, you know, I'd really miss that just, Hey, do you want to grab a glass of wine after this? And I'd love to hear more about your program and yeah, making those kinds of real connections because you can try, but it doesn't really work as well. I have a theory uh, and it's just a hunch based on my own experience. I'd love to get your thoughts on it. I feel like there's going to be an absence makes the heart grow fonder uh, quality here in the same way that I was like, oh man, I ran into my friend Graham at, uh, at the Botanic Garden. Dude, what's going on? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, your kids are growing. Yeah. Gosh, he's taller than I remember. Oh, see you later. Uh, to the people at the, the chance meetings at, at, at church or whatever it is. I feel like when, whenever we are allowed to get back into that mix and you can see this made manifest in the people who are just throwing off precaution and crowding Miami beaches ill-advisedly, it should be said. Um, but I wonder, I, I hope, I hope that people will once, once the farmer's market is back downtown in Knoxville, people are going to rejoice and people are going to go. I am so glad downtown Knoxville has a farmer's market. And they, I, I feel like that crowd will rush back and embrace you and, and, and in your vendors in a way that perhaps exceeds because they will, they will then have felt what it was like to have lost it. Yeah. I feel like that, especially because we had plenty of people, of course, that followed us to Mary Costa Plaza. And, and there's something really wonderful about that too, because yeah it did allow, I mean, there are like the true believers, the ones that really want to get the stuff from the farmers and they're really there to shop and they were there and they were like, this is great. Like all the other random people that are just happening to be downtown aren't here and I can get in and get out and I just love it. And so there, there are some good things about that part of it. Um, our Wednesday market was not a good market because, you know, it really relied on downtown employers and people were working from home. And mm -hmm. so that's the one that's moving back first because it's smaller but um i do think you know the the residents and people will be excited but for me one of the things that i think was really nice is that a lot of the downtown the businesses especially retail businesses and some of the restaurants have been like when are you coming back we really want you to come back and we just hadn't had a reason to have that conversation like i've yeah. always wondered like do they like us? Like, I think I know from some of them that have been there for a long time that helped start it like obviously they wanted it to be there but you know, did they, do they want us to be here? Do they find the fact that we closed on a street really annoying? Like, is there, you know, how do they feel? And, and it yeah. gave the opportunity for us to have that conversation and be like, no, we want you back as soon as possible. Like our customers are asking, we really want, want you to be back. And they're, they're calling the city and asking when the farmer's market's going to be back. And so um, it was like, oh, they like us. They really like us. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I know that customers like us and that people like it being there, but, you know, the people that we have to actually work next to and, and you know, coexist with more, um, I think is, is really meaningful for me. Like, no, they, yeah. want, they want it there. They so. appreciate you. They see the value in it, uh, uh, especially because of your absence. That's amazing. Um, so you've, you've brought you, you at, 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 with, with others uh, and, and you're, humble to, to, to say, you know, like it happened because of the downtown business owners uh, and it happened because of like lots of other people have played a role. 
But um, I, I would argue that, uh, you know, those of us in the grassroots, we, we fill that void uh, with activity and that allows the, the more staid entities or the other things that have a more limited charge. We can somehow make one plus one plus one equal 20. Yeah. I feel like I, at this point, we, I feel like, oh, I'm kind of that person. Like our markets are full. Like we're kind of at capacity at people. And then someone will be like, hey, I want to start this, like this business or a commercial kitchen. And could we partner on it? And I'm like, I would love to. I cannot. I'm very tired. Um, we are running a bunch of programs and we're in a pandemic and I would love to do all the things, but we can't do all the things. Let us know if we can support you. But, you know, that is a great, you know, this is a good idea. Like, let me know if I can introduce you to someone or if there's something that, that can be done to, you know, but we, we're not in the position to like help start things, but I hope that we can at least foster that mentality for other people who are, have their vision of things to create a part of, you know, that fits into this whole system of things that people are doing here. Right. I mean, it takes, it takes, additional leaders, just in the same way that you saw an opportunity and, and you had to sit there in that parking lot and wonder whether you were, were crazy or not, but say, no, by golly, I'm gonna, I think other people need to step forth. I know that part of my own journey was at the outset, I thought I'm going to get the real activists working on this. <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm not a preservationist activist, like historically speaking. And I'll, and I just had a friend who was sounding off on Facebook uh, about how terrible it was that the Coliseum was going to be demolished. And being a PR guy, I said, I'll do my friend a favor. Hey, I'm a PR guy. You want me to, to liaise with the, with the paper and get you a, a guest op-ed? I'll act as your editor. And I thought, I'm going to do my, my good deed. And, and that's it, right? Uh, and then his, his guest op-ed blows up. Everybody's sharing it in social media. Uh, it becomes the talk of the town. Somebody else kicks out a, 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 a Save the Coliseum you know, petition. And it becomes a hot news peg local story. Uh, you know, the, the, the activists versus the people who would bulldoze the building that everybody loves, you know, it became a really, you know, <laughs> a pitched battle a bit, <laughs> although we always from the outset um, uh, made a conscious decision to kind of uh, comport ourselves with respect, you know, like we did not want it to devolve into mudslinging. So we always did it with respect. Uh, but uh, you know, it's like, I didn't think I was starting a movement. I thought I was doing a friend, a solid. And then he invited me to a meeting uh, at our local preservationist group, Memphis Heritage. And I thought that's where the dyed in the wool activists are. I know I'll alert them to this and they'll take it on because they're the ones who saved Overton Square. They're the ones who helped save the 19th century club, you know, uh, but the more my friend Mike and I talked, the more people just ceded the floor to us. And, and, and you know, and they're like, this is all really exciting. What, what are you going to do next? And like, we yeah, ended up, you just can doing be the, the person that does the thing. I was, and, and right. And it's like, you eventually reach that moment where you say, I am the leader I've been waiting for. D did you, I just curious, it sounds like you did, obviously you are that person, but like, did it ever like occur to you? Like, did, did you have kind of a, I think I'll just help with a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And you just kept, kept evolving yeah. it. And then all of a sudden, like, when did you realize, Oh, I'm the person. Per yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think it was, yeah, it was absolutely that where it was like, Oh, these people, like these adult people um, have this vision for a farmer's market. I also think that would be great. And I am the things I do know how to do is like use word and type a thing. And, you know, there's things I know how to do and I have a lot of, 
I'm 23. I don't have kids. I have a retail job that I just leave when I go home. Like I have a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I would just like, I really like, that's actually probably where I started. Like I like helping other people do things again. Like I like when people are following their passion or whatever and like, Oh, you're doing this really cool project. Like I'm, I'm interested in that. I would happily just, you know, paint boards with you for your thesis or whatever. Like I like doing things that are both productive and social. And so I did those. And then it just, I mean, I think it is very accidental in which I was like, Oh, there's, I mean, there's nobody else that's going to take on the heavy lifting part of this. Like, this is my, now this is what I need to do. And now I need other people to be the people that paint the boards while I work on the thing. And <laughs> right. because now I have actual vendors that actually need information and you know people to work with. And so for a while it was, I mean, I started as a volunteer. It was very much like a side project that I was just helping with. And then it became like, look, this is actually going to be a lot of work and became a part-time job and then it became you know then there was an executive director of a nonprofit. it's my full-time job and we have five full-time employees and so yeah it it is as I piled responsibility onto myself there was a point at which I was like and I think because I was the person that cared the most about it and at some point I had a lot of skin in the game where I'd kind of put my reputation out there of like this will work you know I have promised you that's this farmer's market like I like to deliver my promises and right. I was the person that had at the end of the day, just had to make sure it happened. And so, you know, there were great volunteers that, that helped, but at the end of the day, it was me that had to kind of make sure it sh- that we showed up and that we were there and that we communicated with the city. And the more of that stuff built up, which was almost entirely self-imposed. Um, yes. Now we do a local food guide. Oh, we're going to do a fundraiser. Oh, we're going to do this. So now there's so many pieces that there's kind of too many and we have a, you know, a staff that makes all of that happen. Um, but we are kind of at capacity for that. And I'm like, I still like the part of, Oh, we can do this new thing. Yeah. Um, we can't do it without growing and raising more money at this point. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I feel like we're kind of in that capacity building, shoring up the edges kind of phase. And mm-hmm. um you reach a point where you've come, you've, you've come too far to turn back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I feel like our, our goal is to reopen the Mid-South Coliseum. So like, and it's, it's a, it's obviously a longer uh, thing because, you know, if, if, if part one was saved the Coliseum from the wrecking ball, uh, I'd say we we've done that because now the city has it officially in its plans for the, the fairgrounds redevelopment uh they haven't said exactly what it'll be and there's not an adequate amount of money in the plan to do it it, it, it assumes that you would that the main engine would be third-party investment right. and so that's where the, where the grassroots and the city are truly in alignment in the fact that so that's how we corroborate on these vip tours they know that if the grassroots group is giving vip tours the more people who t- tour through the building the more likely a third you know an investor is going to say by golly this is a great right. idea and hopefully we, we we can take that forward to pre-vitalizing events. Back to you talking about the Col- the Knoxville Coliseum. It's essentially you moving there temporarily is a little bit of a pre-vitalizing event effect in that pre-vitalizing or pop-up events is just where people have access to an area of town, a building that has been off the off the mental and emotional map for a while. 
And when we had, so we did the series of events called Roundhouse Revival. And we had a, a day of music, wrestling, and basketball outside the Coliseum. Couldn't get inside. We wanted to, but couldn't. Uh, and uh, we featured bands and wrestling matches in wrestling rings. And we had a three-on-three three basketball tournament. We had a marching band, a gospel choir. It was a day-long slog of all this entertainment. <laughs> and especially at the first one, I remember thinking, oh, we'll be lucky to get, you know, a thousand. Man, I hope we get a thousand, fifteen hundred people. Well, forty-five hundred people showed up. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, almost to a person, people were just like, man, I saw a flyer that said there was an event at the Mid-South Coliseum. And it had been at that point nine years since anything had been built at the Coliseum. And they're <laughs> all just like, I got to go to an event just because it's at the Coliseum. And then they come out and we got Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee right. to re- put together their tag team and fight these bad guys called the Coliseum Crushers, these villains that we <laughs> wrote the script for. <laughs> but my point is, yeah, it's hilarious uh, how professional wrestling somehow is helping to save yep, this historic sure. building. I mean, our county mayor is a professional wrestler, so. I, I That's right. I yes. knew that because my, my brother-in-law and his family live in Knoxville. So we, we go to Knoxville at least a couple times a year, one or two times a year. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, you're moving the, the farmer's market there temporarily got a lot of people to go kick the tires of that locale and go, Oh yeah, this place. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hope, uh, lots of successful cities have reinvigorated, uh, their aging arena, even if they do have a shiny downtown NBA arena, uh, Nashville's done it. Uh, Charlotte has the Bojangles Coliseum, which is home for, you know, smaller concerts and, you know, triple A level sports. So uh, it's certainly not, we're not suggesting something that's, that's never been done before. Uh, And, you know, the Knoxville Coliseum is probably underutilized. It could probably be more than it is. Um, Mm -hmm. You mentioned uh, uh, that people had been displaced. How old is the arena? I'm just curious. Oh, that's a great question. I mean, I think it was built in the 60s, but I could be wrong about that. Um, I think it was the 60s. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's it's a civic auditorium and coliseum, and it has a plaza and a grassy area next to it. And um, it's surrounded by neighborhoods? Because ours is... See, ours is surrounded by neighborhoods, and one of the biggest stakeholder neighborhoods is Orange Mound. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Orange Mound is, I think, uh, other than... uh, Harlem is the oldest neighborhood in America built for African-American home ownership. So, yeah. and it's humongous and um, so many great cultural uh, talents uh, came from Orange Mound. It is, it is a historically one of the most significant neighborhoods in Memphis and it's right on the flank of the fairgrounds. And there's fantastic stuff surging to life back in Orange Mound itself. Lots of all sorts of small business incubators, artist enclaves, all this stuff is, is bubbling up. But I just figure like, how much better would it be if they had a successful revitalized fairgrounds and Coliseum right on their border? It would just accentuate or accelerate their growth. Um, it's very similar to Knoxville. It opened its doors in 1961. Um, but it, it, it's, there's a hotel next to it and then there's James White Parkway. So they built, I mean, there's like a highway that divides it from the rest of downtown. And then oh. there's like a safety complex and then there is neighborhood. Um, it's not terribly far from the river. So it sort of stops there. 
Um, and there is a historically black neighborhood next to it, but mm. it used to also in be where the Coliseum currently is. Um, there were a lot of, of homes displaced to build it. And so, oh wow, um, yeah, so it's got, you know, not the best history and they have not done a great job of trying to you know reincorporate it. The police station is actually right next to it, which is, is leaving. And currently the, not the Coliseum itself, but right next to it, the land and where the police station currently is, has been taken over by um, the Clayton Foundation, which is um, a local foundation. They want to build a science museum supposedly. So there may be stuff coming back there, but who knows what'll happen. So. Cities are constantly evolving. And yeah, I mean, I, but I think if, if you brought traffic there, you brought attention there. So that's, mm-hmm. that's a good thing. Um, I, we, we probably ought to uh, wrap up here pretty soon, but, but uh, I, I've really enjoyed kind of getting a, a sense of the arc of how all this uh, evolved and came about. What's next for, for Nourish Knoxville? I guess you've spoken a bit about it, you know, encouraging other people to kind of like do their th- pieces that link in and, and trying to like partner with, but, um, or, or maybe a better question, what, what's, what's next for Nourish Knoxville? Uh, and, 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 uh, and what, what do you personally want to see uh, uh, happen uh, with your, what's on your leadership checklist? What's your, your wave of magic wand and say, by gosh, if we could, if we had the resources, what I'd really like to do is X, what's that look like for you? I think, I mean, right now I'm, I feel, I feel a little bit like I'm in survival mode um, to be fair, like sure. through the pandemic and, and moving all of our markets and, and just, you know, we, one thing I haven't talked much about is our, our produce incentive programs. And so we do snap acceptance and snap doubling. We do a kids program where kids get produce bucks to spend on fresh fruits and vegetables. And we're, we're work partnering with other markets to, to do that there. Um, cool. And one thing that I also kind of hope the pandemic brought to light, like in a way, our Saturday market was so big and in a good market. So it's, the sales have been really down at it because we've moved, but a lot of these smaller markets that sometimes struggle, struggle for vendors um, have had really great sales. And so, you know, yes, we have our farmer's markets, but for me, you know, I don't really want the farmers that we have growing in Kentucky to be driving an hour to have to sell in Knoxville because it's the closest thing. Like it it would be better if people could sell more closer to where they live and didn't have to travel a lot. And so as much, you know, I hope that a little bit of this pandemic people looked around to what kind of resources that they had within their community and will continue to support and sustain them. Um, As an organization, I want to continue to partner with some of these smaller rural markets and, and also urban, you know, under-resourced markets that, um, and organizations that are trying to, to make some of those things happen and be able to offer some of the programs that we've, we've done to them. But, um, a really, one of the things I hope that we can focus on going forward is, is really focusing back on the, the farmer part of it and connecting people straight with farmers. Um, I mentioned the local food guide and there's a wholesale component that we want to continue to flesh out. And we'd like to bring people to farms and build more community within farmers mm-hmm. um, and learn from each other. We've really gone down a, a food access path, which turned out, which, so we'd already hoped to be like, okay, well, let's go back into like some of this farmer part of it. But then the pandemic hit and we ended up launching an entirely new yeah. program so that food wouldn't go to waste and buying over a hundred thousand dollars in produce and donating it over the last year. And mm-hmm. so we're still doing that. Um, but 
you know, the two things that I would really focus on are trying to help that access component for fresh produce for people who don't have a lot of access and then growing that, you know, local food community and, and connecting those chefs and farmers and people and, and yeah. with people who grow your food and that stuff. Yeah. You, it's like the, building out the networks kind of never ends really. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and adaptability and flexibility is certainly the hallmark of, uh, of, of, people who champion causes or people who just, you know, take it that next step further. Now that, that you're, you know, it, it probably feels less like a cause now because I mean, mm-hmm. that's not, maybe that's not even true because the, the cause of food access is still there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just like the cause and the value proposition of it has morphed and changed and really just kind of grown, uh, honestly. Um, so it, it's just interesting to see, from each new perch we're at, we get to one level and then we can see a little bit further and we, we shine a light and we go, oh, I can now see that from this position and then you, and you march toward it. Uh, there's a certain amount of uh, uh, trust in uh, the possible, you know, like I like to say that one of the strengths of people who champion causes is that we somehow uh, reboot our fundamental optimism in the goodness of people. Because if you don't start with the with the assumption that people are good or have the capacity for good, uh, then it's harder, uh, if not impossible, to kind of put your own goodness out there in trust and in in, in faith that it will that it will return to you. Uh, and and I feel like the story you've described has certainly been one of you being the kind of lead agent in saying this is good. This is worth pursuing. And I am going to put my own effort and, and, uh, and reputation at a certain point on the line. And now to see that reflected in the fact that lots of people jumped on the bandwagon, I'm not saying that I'm not trying to give you too much credit because it is and you're good to share credit. Um, people who champion causes always share the mm-hmm. limelight, right? That's how we build a broader network. But um, you being the connector and you being the kind of like um, person to first to first kind of put your foot out there and say, let's take step one toward this. It's like all of the people's summary goodness where people said, I think that's right. I think that's a great idea. Um, that, that's 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 got to be gratifying. I, I know that like when we were the originators and said, by gosh, the Coliseum's worth saving. And after a few people told us we were crazy, lots of other people said, you know, because it was kind of countercultural. They looked both ways, but they're like, I love the Coliseum. Keep up the good work. You know, mm-hmm. like that's gratifying to have that goodwill kind of like come out of the shadows. I don't know whether that was your experience or not. Yeah, it, it was. And I, I mean, I'm still uncomfortable with, um, you know, I, with being associated with the person that did this or something, it's like, um, I just, I want, you know, it, I don't do this for like, because I want to be the person that people ask a lot of questions of, like, I'm a kind of a more private person too. And I like to, you know, I want the people to come and share the products and do that stuff. And I, I think that, you know, and then the pandemic did that as well, where it was like, oh, the farmer's market's not going to be there. And just seeing the outpouring of emotion <laughs> from people. And, yeah. you know, we just did one social media post. It was like, oh, by the way, we're going to be moving. And it like was basically a press release. And and we thought, oh, we really like, okay. Like I really downplayed our importance um, 
and, you know, news stations were all over it and we were getting all these calls and I just kind of forgot yeah. I, or took for, I just, it didn't really register how much people that I don't know and have never spoken to like associate the farmer's market. And it was good because they didn't necessarily associate me. It wasn't about me. It was very much about this institution that we had created and right. it was not about us. And, um, that is so but, cool. Yeah. And so people, and now that I've been doing it for so long, I mean, one of our vendors just the other day was like, he's probably, you know, I started when I was 23. So I'm 41 now. He's probably maybe in his early thirties. Um, and so was maybe a teenager when this started and now was a vendor and was like, I just read the market square book by Jack Neely, which is a book about market square. Mm-hmm. Um, and it talks about it mentions me as doing the things. And he just like had no idea that I had been there for that long. And he just knew me as this lady that, you know, you kind of work with and we have a market manager now that's not me that is mostly doing the stuff that the communication and the hands-on stuff with our vendors. And he was just like, you did the things. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's cool. And he's like, no, that's really neat. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, thanks. Like, I hope, I like these earrings. Um, and, yeah. you know, it, it, it was weird to me when I had a, the first time I had a vendor say, I was ordering a coffee from a new coffee vendor and they were like, Hey, do you come to the market often? I was like, yeah, I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do come here often. Thanks. Um, I, yep. I know about you, but it was, it was really nice. It was both jarring to not be the person that like knows every knows every vendor and like went to their weddings and like remembers when their, you know, their partner yeah. died or, or, you know, I've known a lot of the people for a long time that it's become a thing that I can walk up to and they're like, hi, do you come here often? I guess. <laughs> um, That's kind of cool. Yeah. Which was really kind of neat. And, and also a big part of my goal with starting Nourish Knoxville, I mean, we were under this downtown development organization, you know, I had decided that this was very important and worth saving. And um, it was part of Nourish Knoxville really was to make sure that, you know, I was contract labor before. I mean, I wanted it to be a job and that people, if I leave, you can hire someone to do this. If, you know, this farmer's market needs to be a thing regardless of if I'm involved or not. And mm-hmm. so at the beginning, it was kind of my cause and and my thing. And and once we had all these vendors and all of these, you know, all of these people that suddenly depended on it and, and found it really important. It's like, this needs to not be so dependent on me. It needs to be a thing that, you know, it is a, a part of a nonprofit. It's people can if I leave, there's a job people, someone could get hired to do this and it will continue regardless of if I'm here or not. Yeah. You've kind of formalized it. You Mm -hmm. formalized it and kind of undergirded it with, uh, with enough, uh, structure that, um, that it would, that it would, that it can exist in perpetuity. Right. That's awesome. Um, Charlotte, thank you so much for taking uh, uh, all the time that you have. I, I, I pressed way past the normal time, uh, (laughs) limits that I typically do. Um, (laughs) But uh, is there like, where can people learn more about uh, Nourish Knoxville? And are there any other social media handles that you want to make mention here for people to reach out to you? Yeah, we of course have a website, nourishknoxville.org. Our organization is Nourish Knox on Instagram. And we also have an account for our markets specifically that's Nourish Markets. Um, And then each of our markets have their own Facebook page. So there's a bunch out there, but you get to nourish Knoxville, you can find a lot of things from there. Fantastic. Well, Charlotte, thank you so much for being part of the uh, uh, 
being on the show here today. And, uh, and I, I look forward to sharing uh, your, your story with our listeners. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and as I was, uh, as I was doing this interview, I thought to myself, I have not yet have any, had any, any, uh, I've not had a sufficient number of Memphis, uh, food, uh, champions uh, on the show yes so, there's um, i mean Memphis there, is great there are some amazing, amazing yeah there really there. are there really mm-hmm. are but i'm but i'm so i'm so glad that uh uh that that we were able to talk today thank you so much thank you thanks for listening champions of the lost causes is a production of the back to the light podcast network i'm your host marvin stockwell produced by ryan azada with production assistance by J.D. Rieger. Logo and design by Collins Dillard. Music by Ryan Azada. If you like the show, please follow, rate, and review us on your favorite platform. Keep up with the latest at championsofthelostcauses.org. of the Back to the Light podcast network at backtothelight.net.